the more that I talk publicly about burnout, the more that I hear people have either had it or are starting to understand that that was probably what was going on. We deal with such a huge range of things. It's very difficult to not be worried at times that you've missed something. We're all learning all the time. We're all upskilling all the time. We never really feel like we know enough. Do we put out the right job specs? Do we put out the right titles? Are we looking for the wrong things? Are we putting people off because perhaps we're asking for too many things in security? I just wonder if we can find a better way to attract talent. Hi, I'm Guy Pajarni, CEO and co-founder of Sneak. And you're listening to The Secure Developer, a podcast about security for developers, covering security tools and practices you can and should adopt into your development workflow. It is a part of the Secure Developer community. Check out thesecuredeveloper.com for great talks and content about developer security and to ask questions and share your knowledge. The Secure Developer is brought to you by Heavybit, a program dedicated to helping startups take their developer products to market. For more information, visit heavybit.com. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to The Secure Developer. Today, we have a great guest with us, Stu Hurst from Just Eat. Welcome to the show, Stu. Thanks for coming on. Thanks, Guy. Thanks for having me. So, Stu, we're going to dig into a whole bunch of like cloud security things and sort of understand security across different companies, and you've had quite a journey there. But before I dig in, tell us a little bit about yourself, like who you are, what you do, and maybe like how you got into security in the first place. Yeah, so I'm with Just Eat at the moment, which is an awesome uh, food uh, delivery and ordering company in, in the UK and around the world. So I'm, I'm heading up the cloud security team there, uh, joined back in June. But my security career started in about 2011, where I'd actually been a mainframe developer for years before before that, um, for my sins. Uh, and then I took a year out and I moved to a company called The Train Line, sort of super cool, agile internet business. And I was doing mainly third line support, Windows Server, incident response, that, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And their security person left and, and I was asked to pick up fundamentally PCI compliance which I didn't really know very much about. I didn't know a huge amount about security, went on some courses uh, and saw them through PCI compliance for a couple of years. So I suppose that was my baptism of fire into into security. Um, yeah, I really didn't know very much about it for that period of time. And it was very compliance driven. I hadn't really got into some of the other aspects of security. And then I, I suppose I got my big break at Skyscanner. I moved out of London and back to Edinburgh where I'm from for that role um, at the end of 2014 to kind of build the team there, uh, starting with you know a, a very small team, only two or three of us. And they, they were an incredible company. I talk a lot on podcasts uh, about my experience there and and what we did and, and the, the environment and how it allowed me to to really just learn everything about security and really get involved in every facet of security from AppSec, SecOps, yep. you, you name it. I, I kind of um, I did a bit of everything and, and a really open culture where you were given the opportunity to experiment and learn and fail and just do what you thought was the right thing to do, which I guess when I joined, I didn't really know. And then I've had a couple of moves since then. I did some time at Capital One in their UK cyber leadership. I wanted to see what cybersecurity done at a, a larger level was, was like, and that gave me a great insight to that. Uh, and then did a year at Photobox and Moonpig. Interesting um, uh, time there, you know, uh, a, a very interesting environment to try and get things done. And and then I came to Just Eat. I, I know Kevin, the CISO, um, reasonably well, and uh, it just aligned well for the kind of thing that I was looking for. It was kind of Photobox where I morphed into cloud security. I didn't join Photobox to do cloud security. I just got into the role that I was doing there and realized that it, it needed more focus. 
so kind of self-appointed myself to, yeah. to, to drive that. Yeah. Uh, and then that's kind of what my role has become at Just Eat. So leading the team here and building a team to address everything that we do in, in cloud. Cool. Well, and we're going to dig into that a fair bit here and like what cloud security encompasses, right? And then talk a bit about the, the hot topics there. So it's quite a journey, you know, and different companies, you know, you sort of have maybe kind of mentioned the openness of uh, Skyscanner, maybe a little bit different in uh, in Photobox, you know, you mentioned, you know, sort of some small, some bigger uh, companies like Capital One. Is there any pattern that sort of emerges, like when you look at the approach to security, are there sort of key, can you look at like whatever that sort of, you know, five-ish or so companies and, and security groups and say, well, I can kind of see these two or three camps in, in how they how they even approach security where it sits in the org. Yeah, I, actually, despite the fact that I've been at mainly e-commerce companies or internet tech companies, there are reasonable differences in how teams are structured, what they report into, uh, size of teams, budgets. Sometimes the nature of the work has been reasonably similar. I mean, we're, we're all fundamentally addressing very similar risks in the internet world. Capital One gave me a really good insight into how security is done at such a massive level. I mean, Capital One in the States is a big team. I think there's over 500 engineers there, or there was when I, when I was there. Yeah, that's huge. Yeah, I was really lucky to be able to see, albeit for a fairly short period of time, just, just how they did security there. Big budgets, um, you know, big team in the UK of over 40 people. Uh, there's challenges in all of those roles, and for different reasons. Um, sometimes environments are easier to get things done perhaps yeah. uh, i found skyscanner and, I, and just now i find it incredibly easy to drive the work that i want to drive it's very agile very culturally open capital one was probably a little bit more difficult it's regulated there's compliance there are things to consider there's because it's such a bigger team and a bigger animal there's perhaps more process compared to yeah. um, what you might get in, in, in smaller organizations so, so it has been different for each role. I think the one thing that I take from all of them is that I've learned a huge amount <laughs> in all of those roles, whether it's went well or not so well. I've certainly upskilled in a huge amount of areas and not just security <laughs> in lots of different ways. Yeah. So it's been a really inter- interesting journey. So specifically, like, let's maybe dig about like this comment on like uh, driving change or sort of driving the behavior that you're sort of looking or getting things you're trying to get done done so how is that different for instance like what are the steps if you want to to influence developers or can you give us some examples on like you know maybe the sort of the the, the just did or skyscanner type scenario and how would a project look like and and how would that differ maybe like a somewhat similar risk tackling in a capital one or a photo box i mean we're very agile skyscanner and just the in fact all of those organizations i've worked for are agile capital one was very agile for a financial organization mm-hmm. and mainly cloud-based so incredible for a, a, what is essentially a bank to be nearly cloud first uh, completely across their organization uh, i think we have an agility within somewhere like Just Eat, where we work in two-week sprints. You know, we're very, very closely aligned to engineering and, and to developers. We push out change in the same way that an engineering team would push out change you know, in the same pipelines, and we're mm-hmm. custodians of those changes. So the, the things don't necessarily go through more formal change processes, or it's not that there's a change board a week later looking at something about to go into prod. I mean, we just push out to prod 100 times a day across the organization, yeah. um, uh, depending on what day it is. So there's a real ability for security to move at the same pace as, as the rest of engineering. You know, our teams at Just Eat move things along very, very quickly. So we're, we're very similar. So it's really, it's just about speed, I guess, at the end of the day. Yeah, absolutely. And, and 
and I suppose that always comes with risk, right? That you know, you you do things at pace, and that that means that you have to try and put either guardrails in place, or the right kind of alerting, or or checks and balances in your pipelines and your processes to try and capture those things. I found when I interview people from different types of industry that they tend to find that quite crazy. You know, that there aren't necessarily whole teams of uh, of people reviewing changes and waiting and getting senior buy-in or whatever it might be. It's very very autonomous. Yeah. And, yeah, that's why these organizations are successful because they do things at speed. We release product at speed. We test things quickly. And that comes with an element of, and I talk a hell of a lot about failing and failing fast. And I know that that's a bit of a buzz term, but that's essentially what we do. You know, we learn from uh, from mistakes very quickly. And, and that's how we, we drive all our kind of automation and agility. Yeah, and you do, you feel like you're basically embracing that same approach within the security organization as well. So like failing fast is oftentimes, you know, well-liked and, you know, kind of a good concept and really scaring in uh, security. It's like, what do you mean fail fast? Yeah. It's like, hey, if I get breached every now and then, that's okay. Like, that doesn't really, like, uh, sound all that exciting. You, you feel like the approach of failing fast in those kind of more agile settings, you know, today or in Skyscanner is, is better embraced. Like, how does that come to the forefront? You're right. I, you know, we don't have the same ability to fail at certain levels as uh, as other parts of the business. But we still have the same principles. It is still about pace and agility and how quickly we can drive change and get things done. Uh, much of what we do in security is still code-based, so we're still pushing out code the same as, a, as an engineering team would do. Mm-hmm. I think security is definitely aligning more with the, the DevOps engineering side. Uh, it doesn't feel like it's two completely separate units anymore, which when I think back to my train line days, it probably was. You know, throwing pieces of work over the fence to get them done by engineering teams or fixes yeah. applied. I, th- I think those worlds are combining far better, certainly in, in the, the worlds I work in. Do you feel like there was an impact to where in the org? Like, where was security reporting to in these different organizations? And do you feel like that played a role uh, or somehow correlated to how the organization behaved? Yeah, I mean, I've seen a maturity because I, I, I keep up to date with what's happening in those companies that I've worked for. I still have uh, friends at the companies that I've worked for, and it, you know we hook up occasionally, and, and it's, it's easy to find out what's going on. And I think certainly when I joined Skyscanner, so I, I reported into a director of engineering who reported into, I believe, another director, then the CTO, then the CEO. So you know there, there was four or five steps away from, from the top there. You know, it certainly wasn't board-level role or exec-level kind of role. It, it was far more mid-level engineering which was which was but it is within engineering like it wasn't separate yeah yeah and then something like capital one that kind of reporting line was you know the heads of which which is what i came in to do and then uk CISO and 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 the american CISO. so you've you know you're very close to the the senior uh, levels of very big businesses there just eat has a has a similar setup where we have a CISO, Kevin, who's my boss, and then he reports into the CIO and, and the board effectively. So it's very visible at these companies, even further down the, the, the chain. Now, I know the bigger the organization, the, the more difficult it is to to see some of those things. But I, I've seen some of those organizations I've worked that start to elevate security, either by bringing in CISOs or, or um, higher level security people. Yep. to get that visibility further up the chain. There's an interesting uh, conflict or you know, like this trade-off between having the security organization be a part of the engineering org, which might not give them as much 
you know, top level of visibility because it's a part of the engineering like it doesn't maybe shine as its own entity as much, but is more embedded in engineering and, and its ability to influence versus like, you know, having a, a CISO org that sort of reports into into the board or into the CEO and that has more visibility, but it's potentially more distant from engineering. Like, have you felt any of that? Or like, do you feel like there's a, a better or worse choice on those fronts? Certainly the roles I've been in from Skyscanner onwards have been very heavily aligned with engineering, but I don't think there's a, a right or wrong way to to go about building teams or structuring teams. It, it works differently depending on the different types of organization. For instance, you might have a risk and compliance team might more naturally fit under a legal pillar perhaps, and then the more technical aspects of security fit within engineering. It, it really depends on the organization and, and how easy it is to structure those things. With CISOs sitting at board level, fundamentally sometimes it doesn't really matter what happens underneath there or how it's structured underneath a, underneath a CISO. It's, it's all how it filters up. Yeah, as long as alignment uh, works well. Cool. Well, so let's kind of move off the journey and into the destination and maybe dig uh, a moment into sort of Just Eat and, and how things work, like how you structure the team in Just Eat. Uh, and we're, we're going to get to cloud security shortly after. So what is the, the structure of the team right now at Just Eat? Like you run cloud security. What's the, what's the bigger picture? Yeah, so Kevin Fielder, who's our, who's our CISO, has built a, an awesome team, which is across uh, numerous markets, actually. So we have a company that we acquired in, uh, in Canada called Skip the Dishes, and they're very much part of our global security team. And when they're when we talk about the structure of the wider security team, we have AppSec, so you, you, you know, your sort of standard pipeline code uh, application security team. We have a SecOps team, so dealing with alerting, incident response, logging, all, all the natural things that a SecOps team would would deal with. Uh, and then I've come in to head up the cloud security team, which is, is fairly new uh, compared to some of the other teams, uh, which we're, we're building out at the moment. Um, and then we've got a couple of other people who are driving things like awareness and training, and then some of the more risk and compliance related activities. So three traditional or more traditional teams, if you like, and then some people dealing with some of those more ad hoc or niche aspects of, of security. And what's the difference? So like cloud security is interesting and is new. And, and oftentimes, you know, talking to different organizations has has some gray area between that and AppSec, you know, given the kind of amount of cloud activity that is a part of the app, if you will, on it. Like how yeah. how do you delineate between those two groups? Yeah, again, tricky because we deal with the infrastructure side. So our accounts and environments within cloud, and we, we use all three of the, the main cloud providers for different reasons. But of course, engineering and, and AppSec are dealing with applications within those environments. So they're running on EC2 instances or, or whatever um, it, it is on in the, the individual cloud providers. Um, so we've probably got less input to how the applications are running. We're more concerned with how those environments and, and infrastructures are protected. But of course, we do align with AppSec on various kind of pieces of work. It's interesting, Just Eat's a company where, regardless of the team you're in in security, we're very cross-collaborative in, in the work that we do. And, and, and much of the project work, if, mm-hmm. if that's what you want to call it, has input to lots of those things. So it's, it's not completely separate for a lot of the major pieces of work. Uh, understood and I think very powerful, right? To sort of be aligned and be able to collaborate across the teams because, you know, these gray areas, these Venn diagrams are all over the place, like they always are. It's kind of no real way to avoid it. The, the sort of the formal ownership sounds kind of 
goes onto that sort of infrastructure versus workload? Is it, you know, like you'll secure Kubernetes and the cloud environment, but the team will secure containers? Actually, like containers are ones that are especially interesting to me because they're like firmly in this twilight zone between infrastructure and app. It's like, where do yeah, they fall yeah. in, this, in this equation? And, and that's an interesting question where at the moment they would fall within cloud security. We, we, sometimes we don't have the most defined um, either, you know, job roles or job specs. And it can be... I think that's a good thing, actually, because when people come in, they get to cross-skill in all sorts of areas. Mm-hmm. Uh, so some things that might naturally fit with AppSec in, in other worlds maybe don't fit uh, uh, here. For instance, our SecOps team deals with things like uh, WAF and, uh, and DDoS, and and maybe some of those things might fit in an AppSec team somewhere else because the, mm-hmm. the, the, there's more of a need to have that skill set there to, to build those things and support those things. So And, and, it, and it shifts uh, as we develop and as we mature. Sometimes tooling goes to another team to support because it, it fits more naturally with them at a point in time. Uh, it's very fluid, really. Containers is an interesting one. We have different environments split between sort of Canada and, and, and Just Eat uh, and different architectures and, and uh, tech stacks there of, of varying maturities, which makes it certainly interesting. <laughs> and is it always that container security still fits under the CloudSec team versus AppSec? Or is it sometimes like, what do you think is right? Like, you know, is, is the trajectory different or is that kind of, you think, the place for it to, to land? Good question. I think it depends on the capabilities of your teams. Is there a natural fit for something like containerization? Not sure. I mean, I would argue that it would be in, in, in the cloud security world because you know that that that's what we deal with on a day to day basis. Um, mm-hmm. But at the same time, AppSec or engineering is dealing with the the actual building of stuff. You know, using containers. Yeah. So it's it's an interesting topic. One one that I don't think there's a right answer to that because I think it just depends where you work as to who would potentially support um, support those things. So let's indeed talk skill sets a little bit, right? So you've got, you know, you've got the teams. Let's kind of drill down into CloudSec and AppSec because I think they're kind of closer to to our audience's world. So in those two teams, what would you say are the primary skill set, and has that changed over over the years? I mean, we're, you know, we're a tech organization, so we're we're heavily focused on tech skill sets. We we look for people who can code at any level and regardless of job role. So you know, AppSec is quite heavy when it comes to looking for people who have scripting and coding knowledge and, and CloudSec is no different. You know, we, we use Terraform and CloudFormation and Ansible and we, we need people who are comfortable with it with a certain level of scripting. So there is, there's quite a crossover there. I think the cloud security world is, and I've just been hiring for, for roles and it's been, a, it's been a very interesting experience. What we did was, I separated out two roles. We lost, unfortunately, two senior people who, who were very good. And what I did was I separated those two job specs into a junior role and a senior role. Mm-hmm. And we had over probably 20 times the applications for the junior role than the senior one. Hmm. Now, when I looked and reviewed all of the junior applications, a reasonable percentage of those, you could argue that they were senior people. Perhaps not explicitly in cloud security, but as a network engineer or you know somebody looking to transition. So it's really got me thinking whether as companies that we, do we put out the right job specs? Do we put out the right job titles? Are we looking for the wrong things? Are we putting people off applying for roles because perhaps we're asking for too many things in, in security? And, and cloud's been a really interesting one. I, I am by no means a super cloud expert compared to uh, other people in the industry. And it's been a real learning curve for me, but I just wonder if we can find a better way to attract talent. So putting out a junior role, even though we're, bringing in people with reasonably senior skill sets uh, has been it's been really interesting 
Yeah, sort of junior to security, but sort of but senior to like as a professional. Like. Yeah, or uh, we actually brought in somebody recently from um, ASOS, the the fashion retailer, and he was a, a platform engineer who had been dealing with some security mm-hmm. tasks or projects with, within that company, and you know, but wasn't a traditional security person, hadn't had yeah. years of experience in a security team, but had been a platform engineer, which is great. You know, that was yeah. the kind of skill set that we were looking for, and he's come in and and he's just you know doing brilliantly, and and that crossover has been great so we're open to looking for people of, of any skill set to be honest and in cloud security it's very niche so we're seeing a lot of more traditional network engineers if you like you know dealing with on-prem and mm-hmm. uh, things like you know more traditional firewall uh, applications then wanting to move into the cloud and, and it's almost a subset of the security industry which is niche anyway <laughs> compared to a lot of engineering and tech and then even more so in cloud. So I don't actually expect people to have super amounts of knowledge on cloud security because, to be right. honest, we're all sort of feeling our way through it and, and making it up as we go along. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense, but you kind of get, if you're able to train people up, then you can take people that have security but don't know cloud or people that know cloud but don't know security Absolutely, and you yeah. can bring them in uh, and you know everybody's happy. You, know, you get yeah. to train them up and... You might not quite pay an arm and a leg for them at day one, you know, as as you might need to for someone, you know, one one of those seven people that can actually state, you know, long experience <laughs> yeah. with that with cloud security itself. Yep, and I suppose that that journey is is interesting, not just because of the recruitment side, but when we're trying to embed cloud security in these kind of organizations. I mean, I, I fully don't expect engineering teams to really understand those environments and how to secure them, and we're on a real path to to help them with that. Because it is it is very niche still, mm-hmm. and it takes a huge amount of knowledge to understand how to build securely in the cloud. I think what we need to get to is like anything within security, where we've we've just baked it in anyway, uh, so so that people don't have to worry about it or or go back and retrospectively fix things. But again, it takes it takes a while to get to that point. Yeah, well, it's uh, and I do think that it overlaps. You know, oftentimes or sort of touches this this change within the app. So increasingly, you need those people to also understand the app or the workloads that are running. And, uh, and what they entail. Yeah, yeah. So, so uh, maybe let's shift gears. We talked a lot org. <laughs> you know, let's uh, let's dig into into some tech. So, more meta. You know, like cloud security. It's running right now. You're looking at. We're talking about understanding or not understanding cloud security. What would you say are like the core concerns right now? Right. If you were to enumerate a top three or a top five cloud security concerns or risks, what would those be? Yeah, what I've done since I've joined Justy is is develop a bit of a risk framework, and we know that risk is not particularly sexy as a as a yeah. terminology. Apologies for any risk people listening, but sometimes it's it's hard to articulate that to to teams and why it should be important. I think, like anything in the industry, it's always interesting to see some of the hacks that are happening to other companies. I don't really want to name any particular companies. You know, we're seeing the same kind of thing across some of those companies. At the moment, it's public S3 buckets with data in them. Providers like Amazon are, are working quite hard to try and make that more difficult, but it's still fundamentally happening. So cloud, is, I think, is no different than the rest of the business. To me, it's all about the protection of data. We tend to use cloud to, to run applications, but also to store or, or use for um, uh, for our apps huge amounts of, of data. So that, mm-hmm. that's the thing that's valuable from an attacker point of view or an insider point of view. So that hasn't really changed over the years, I don't think. So drilling into that one, which I agree is kind of a, a top concern, what's sort of the right solution for that in your mind? I mean, what's the set of sort of security controls, you know, and to be used by whom to try and kind of rein in this this risk? 
I mean, I think there's numerous ways you can approach that. You know, data is it's need to know basis as with anything. Um, you know, least privilege that can be more difficult to do in certain types of organisation where people have lots of access or lots of ability to see things. A lot of the the work that I've been doing over the last year or two in the, in a few organisations has been around just not just visibility of the environments that we have, but alerting, making sure all the logging's in place. That should anything happen or should we be concerned that something's happening, we can go and see and we can we can see some of the things that are happening. Alerting on things like somebody making a, a bucket public, for instance. You know, we, we, you know, if we build real-time alerting for that, at least we can see that that's happened. Maybe go and have a conversation with with somebody to ask why that that has has happened. But I think. We're very much moving into the whole compliance as code world um, within cloud where, you know, make it very, very difficult for mistakes to happen. Have those sort of tight guardrails where anything that then happens, it's either a mistake or or something that slips through the net is, is a real anomaly. And, and then you have the alerting to find out when that happens. The reality is it's very difficult to do that quickly because what I found in numerous organizations is people have been using the cloud for a long time or they've shifted into the cloud. They have lots of accounts. They have huge amounts of um, applications running, lots of data. Then they decide that they need to do something about securing it. And and you firefight a lot and you you plug lots of gaps before you can then go and do the, the sort of cooler stuff, the automation and the, the driving the real engineering change to make sure those things don't happen. Got it. So you, you want to put a bunch of these types of tests or or kind of, you know, guardrails into the pipelines themselves, you know, as part of the regular kind of engineering path to production. Yeah. But there's a whole bunch of servers to to kind of herd first and accounts and access controls and, and all that. And and so, unfortunately, there's like a big debt there that uh, oftentimes takes priority. Yeah, which is the same as the rest of tech, right? And and the way that tech moves quickly, things either get left behind or especially in, in, in internet companies where people have got a hell of a lot of freedom to build how they want to build and spin up accounts or environments and, and really do what they feel is necessary. And, and there's sometimes not the right visibility into those things. So a security team might not even know that an engineering team is doing that. And without seeing it and knowing it's there and building some of those guardrails in, if then mistakes happen or you know there's some kind of incident you're just not going to know it's happened. Mm-hmm. I've seen people make mistakes in companies in security where they they come in and they're trying to do things very quickly, and that's great, and they're trying to fix problems, but they haven't really taken a step back and said, right, what are the fundamentals here? You know, it's visibility. It's getting your logging data in the right place so that you can see things. It's going after what you really care about. So if you've got hundreds of accounts in AWS, you can't deal with those all the time. It's just far too difficult to do. So what do you really care about? Is it your prod environment? Is it your PCI environments? You're more likely to be wanting to focus on those than a QA or dev environment or, mm-hmm. or some kind of testing environment. So it's really just trying to, and again, I don't think that's any different from the rest of security. Uh, you know, Understand what, what would be a real showstopper if something happened. And then go after those first, and then you can start looking at the other the other things. Yep. Then back to your sort of risk model, you know, sexy or not, it sort of helps you uh, help yeah. you prioritize kind of the right uh, the right things to tackle on an ongoing basis. I think it does, and we um, I built a sort of a risk model that I'll probably open source at some point. It's nothing overly overly clever, but we align to CIS benchmarking as well, which is a really cool set of frameworks across the security industry, where at least it gives you an understanding of. If you don't really know what you're doing, which, which to be fair, has probably been my world for quite a while, here's a place to start. You know, here's some things to go and look at in your environments that are risk rated. 
and they're things that you should care about that, that has been defined as a framework by the industry go and look for those i suppose what i've what's been a real challenge for me moving into cloud security is there aren't a huge amount of companies that seem to be doing it brilliantly well yet there's a few there certainly aren't many that talk about it so it's not as if i can go and watch a talk by somebody who says here's how i dealt with yep. you know building a security team and securing all these things so it's hard to find ways to get that information. I run a cloud Slack forum where there's some very, very cool people on there and we do talk about some of those things. But without those mechanisms, I would just be trying things and seeing if it worked and then and then sort of experimenting and moving forward. So it's, it's certainly a challenge because it's just not a huge amount of companies who've really solved that problem yet. Yeah, indeed. You know, it's a new practice. And, you know, like I was talking to one uh, massive enterprise CISO who was just talking about how the adoption of these technologies has moved faster than the maturing of them, maybe. Absolutely. <laughs> and, reality, and it's amazing for functionality and we benefit from the innovation, but you know, some of us are sort of left to do slightly sort of a pick up the, uh, <laughs> the yeah. debris that might have been, uh, that might have sort of stayed a little bit behind. And, and this is where security fundamentally is, is a really fulfilling but difficult role because we don't just need to know about security. We almost need to know about everything else. And I don't just mean tech. We need to know processes and policies, and we need to know how to speak to teams and how to be embedded at the right levels. There's such a, a range of things that our roles entail. It's not just pure coding. It's not as if we just sit for eight hours a day and code things and then go home. But yeah, And then multiply that by just how many things you need to care about. So for me, even in a cloud role, which is quite niche, you know, we use the three main cloud providers for different things, mm-hmm. and we've got to care about all of that. You know, across a, across a huge organization, so that that's where that whole risk framework and knowing what to to go after it at least gives you some focus and some strategic direction that you wouldn't have had without that. Yeah, understood. So I guess maybe maybe that's indeed like kind of one last topic. I know you've you've given some talks and and, and talk about burnout. You know, so amidst this insanity, right? Different teams, you know, lots to track. You know, fast moving technology. You know, do you have some key advice around how do you do that and sort of stay sane, right? Or uh, don't, uh, don't find yourself, you know, just sort of uh, burning yourself out or sort of, you know, driving to the ground? Yeah, I, I actually did a panel um, a couple of weeks ago, at a big event up in Scotland, and we had a number of cyber professionals. We had a um, professor of psychology from Glasgow Uni. We had a HR rep who was uh, had training in uh, mental health first aid. And there was some really interesting content and questions that came from that. And, and actually... The more that I talk publicly about burnout, the more that I hear people have either had it or are starting to understand that that was probably what was going on, not just at senior levels of security, but we deal with such a huge range of things. It's very difficult to not be worried at times that you've missed something or that you've you know, let something slip. We're making calls all the time about what are the right things to do. But by making those calls, you're not doing things as well. And then just that whole that whole risk appetite or attack vector side of security where it's just everywhere now with so many more environments to worry about, so many more angles to, uh, that, that, that attackers can look at. And it's just a constant worry, really, of whether we're doing the right thing. And then align that as well with we're all learning all the time. We're all upskilling all the time. We never really feel like we know enough, or I, I certainly don't. And that just plays havoc sometimes. And you know, our roles are difficult enough uh, anyway. And, and sometimes you end up in environments where it's high pressure, 
Uh, I think security is expected to be able to say that they're getting it right all the time and that we're yeah, doing the right things, reducing risk, and or, or just explaining to boards that we're getting it right and, and we're getting there, but there's just so much to fix and to do. So I, I've almost certainly had burnout to a certain degree. Some of it is related to... You know, we all have personal lives. I've had a, I've had a couple of children in the, in the last uh, three years, so you know you're trying to balance your personal life and family life with what is a a very high stress job. I, I would say a, a massively enjoyable job. I love it. I, I wouldn't do anything else these days. It's it's been the best thing I've ever done, but it comes at a price. And I know my boss Kevin talks um, quite publicly about about some of those things as well. Uh, we have numerous mechanisms to deal with it. You know, I'm big on exercise and things, and trying to find time to. Uh, de-stress as, as best I can. Family time's hugely important. I've got much better at knowing when to switch off and turn the turn the laptop off and, and ignore it until the next morning. So there's lots of mechanisms and places to help now for people who feel that they're, they're experiencing some of that. What I would say is, and only speaking from experience, is sometimes when you're in that bubble and you're, you're stressed or you're tired or you're, you're finding it a struggle, is sometimes you don't know how bad that's getting until you've come out the other side or there's been some kind of catalyst. You know, for me, it was you know, I, I moved job you know, to, to, to escape some of that and, and you know, became a much happier person because of that. And I know that's not always easy to do to make those kind of changes, but sometimes it's hard to know that it's happening to you uh, until you sort of come out the other side and go, oh, yeah, okay, that wasn't, that wasn't so good. I didn't feel so good then. So yeah, I'm trying to talk more publicly about it. I know lots of other security people are, uh, are trying to bring some of these topics to the fore a little bit more just because... I think the more people hear about it, the more they may feel that that's exactly what's happened to them and, and they can take things from it. Yep. It comes down to understanding that it's happening and understanding that's okay, you know, and that you need to do something about it, right? That you that you can revert it, that it doesn't, uh, it's not some inevitability and you're just not doing your job, you know, but rather you have to maintain it. Otherwise, nobody really benefits if you... Uh, yeah. And what, what I just, sorry, just to add to that is, it's very hard sometimes in security to prove that what we've done has worked <laughs> because yeah. we don't know what we don't know. And a lot of the times we don't actually know who's attacking us or, or some of those things are happening. So when we're trying to articulate when we've done a piece of work, how successful it's been, it's very hard to do that, yep. especially to boards or to justify getting more money or more people. Um, so yeah, that just all sort of ties into, am I doing the right thing? Is it good enough? Are we reducing the risk that we need to reduce? Uh, and then we're always just kind of just waiting for the incident to happen, <laughs> potentially now in security, hoping that we've done done the right thing. It's definitely a recurring topic that that uh, comes up here, which is kind of measuring, assessing security, right? Security doesn't have a natural feedback loop. You know, yep. it doesn't hurt until it hurts really bad. Exactly. You know, like your primary means is is to know if you've been breached, and even that's not a great you know means because like you might have done actually a really excellent job because like you're never really going to make a breach like impossible to achieve there's always some constellation so you have to i guess kind of the tips and tricks that have been shared is really all about sort of making an effort to celebrate the successes successes might be in in achieving slas it might be in absolutely in completing projects absolutely i I agree totally and also i think not to open up a can of worms here I, i think the wider tech press has a responsibility here because every time there's a hack it obviously becomes big news um, especially if it's big organizations. Yep. Now, I can certainly attest to working for an organization that, that, that has been hacked uh, recently, and they're as good as I've ever worked for, and certainly from a, a security point of view, some incredibly talented people doing the best work that they could do. And yet the press obviously tells a story about, you know, hey, a bad thing has happened. And, and don't get me wrong, you know, that, that those things can, can often be 
be poor. But we really, really beat up on companies and teams when that when that happens. Yeah. And I'm not sure some of that is particularly fair. They, they tend to not report on all the good things that have, that have been done because something slipped through the net. Yeah. So, you know, so this has been great, you know, a lot of great insights, you know, from sort of your learnings and your journey, you know, before I let you go, I like to ask every guest kind of coming on the show, if you have kind of one bit of advice for a team looking to sort of level up their security, right? It could be a bet peeve that, you know, you're annoyed people repeatedly don't do or do, or some other sort of a pearl of wisdom, you know, what would that be? So I, I guess I'll, I'll flip it in terms of what I've done to, to try and get better or, or upskill. I follow lots of people on Twitter. Uh, I follow lots of people on LinkedIn. I go to lots of conferences and talks and meetups, and, and I try and put myself out there from a, a community point of view. And by doing those things, I've met so many great people and I've learned such a huge amount. So there's various mechanisms to upskill in this industry. It's not just about going to training courses or, or watching online material. For me, it's been about being part of a wider community and learning from all of those people, whether they're super senior security people or people just starting in the industry that the, there's always something to learn so anybody within my teams or anyone that i've worked with i try and encourage people to do that uh, as best they can it's not for everybody it's an investment in time mm-hmm. uh, everyone has their their personal lives and their family lives but um I, I certainly invest a huge amount of time in doing those things so that's why i'd encourage people in the industry to do um be active um, put thoughts out there, put learnings out there if you're brave enough to do it and your companies will, will allow you to do it because that's how we all get a bit better at, at doing what we're doing. Excellent. Great advice. Well, thanks to you for coming on the show. This has been great. No, thank you. And thanks everybody for tuning in and I hope you join us for the next one. That's all we have time for today. If you'd like to come on as a guest on this show or get involved in this community, find us at thesecuredeveloper.com or on Twitter at thesecuredev. Visit heavybit.com to find additional episodes, full transcriptions, and other great podcasts. See you next time.